building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. I think the, the way to the way to handle money is to always deed it over to Christ. So everyone should give away all their money, but that doesn't mean you stop stewarding the money. Right. Okay. So yeah. there's this thing of, you know, give all your money away. Well, it, let's just say for all of us decided to all start giving our money away at the same time. So then I would give it to you. What would you have to do? It would go hot potato. <laughs> right? We'd just start passing it around all over the place. Somebody's got to steward it. And if we all put it into a foundation, then those foundations would have to give it away. But so stewardship's the key thing. But you know what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, whom he loved, by the way, mm-hmm. it's in the Mark passage, he says, and he looked at him and loved him. Mm-hmm. So I take it that he was saying, This guy's awesome. I wish I had more of him, but I'm gonna give him. I'm going to give him, if he really wants to be a faith superhero, I'm going to give it to him. Sell everything you have. And the guy, "Eh, I can't do that. Well, that was his thing that he was still Mm -hmm. clinging to. So to me, the key thing is to take everything you have and spiritually deed it over. It's reality, too. I mean, everything's passing through our hands. Mm -hmm. You know, what they asked, was it John D. Rockefeller? They say, ask his accountant, you know, how much did he leave? And he said, all of it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's it's all. There's no no trailers behind the hearse. You know, it's all it's all going somebody else anyway. So why not recognize that reality now and say it's not mine? And think what that does. So I have a stewardship responsibility of everything that I you know is in my name, so to speak, for the, for the moment. Uh, but. I don't have to worry about losing it. It wasn't mine in the first place. Okay. So I don't, I don't have any, I don't need anxiety about it, but I do want to think in terms of, okay, what is my best stewardship of this? And, uh, and we, we both are, I know are driven by that day to me, to me, the end of our life is not the day you die at the end of our life on earth. It's not the day you die. It's the day you have your judgment seat of Christ mm-hmm. episode. After that, and the wood, hay, and stubble's burned away, and you're cauterized from all the sin that you didn't deal with in this life, then you then that's when your next life starts. That's the way I think about it anyway. So I, I'm going to get to that judgment seat, and um, the the amount I you know I get to, I get to set my own salary if you want to think of it that way, and that is how much I consume. How much of what I made did I consume? And so I've got to balance. God gave us richly all things to enjoy. That's First Timothy six seventeen. So God give us richly all things to enjoy. So the first question is going to be, Ken, I put you in America. Mm-hmm. Okay, Americans, if you make if you make an average wage earner in America, is the top one percent wage earner in the world. I, I put you in that world. Mm. Okay, and I put you in the twentieth century and the twenty first century when you had things that King Solomon couldn't afford. He didn't have an air conditioner. He didn't have a car. I made you one of the... So that means I made you one of the richest people that ever lived, Ken. That's what I gave you. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy... You you had these possessions. Did you enjoy them? Because if you didn't, 
You squandered the gift I gave you. And I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Okay? So that's number one. Did I richly enjoy everything God gave me? And you know, a lot of times people buy stuff and they don't own it. It owns them. You know, if you're worried about losing something, then get rid of it. What you just said is so common sense, but the problem is so many people have so many hangups around money. It's about power. It's about ego, right? If, if, if we turn around and we, we grab 10 people and we, we gave them a million dollars each, those 10 people would do completely different things with the money. One guy would go out and buy a Ferrari. It's because he wants everyone to look at him and think he's cool, <laughs> right? The next person would put it under her mattress and, and never take it out because she just wants to know it's there, you know? So people have all these weird hangups and those hangups come out with how they express themselves through their money. Well, I, li I like to think of it this way. Um, money is power to act. Yeah, that's good. Just all it is. It's just power to act. It's you can purchase other people's participation in whatever it is you want to do with money. So if you are a self-destructive person and you get a bunch of money, you'll do more self-destruction. If you are a highly constructive person and you get more money, you'll do more constructive things. Hmm. So, I mean, I think that's why we see people inherit money and, you know, burn themselves up because they did not learn how to be good stewards and all of a sudden they have all this money. Well, they just, they were limited in how much they could due to self-destruction until they got all this money and now they're unlimited. So, yeah, I, I think money money is just, um, it's power to act. So the key question is, what is it you want to do and what is it you want to accomplish? So take your guys, the Ferrari guy. So I got to, I got to go, I'm not a speed guy and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I'm not particularly a car person. I drive a how old is my car now? Eight-year-old pickup truck. I love it, too. That's a sweet I, I, I love I mean, that. It's the best truck I've ever had. I enjoy it every time I get in it. Um, uh, some people have been on me to get another one, but it's because they want mine. They want me to hand it down. <laughs> it's, a, it's a King Ranch, isn't it? King Ranch, yes. Yeah, so King Ranch is a sweet, sweet truck. They're fantastic trucks. Uh, but uh, I was at this um, junket one time, and uh, part, of the, part of the shtick was to let you – go out on a track and drive uh, fancy cars. So they tried to put me in a Lamborghini. I'm six foot three. I could not fit in it. I just said, uh, you know, this sound, this looks great, but right. I can't fit in this thing. So give me, but I got to drive a Ferrari. And when I got done with that, I was like, I can see why people would want one of these. Really? Right? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was awesome. That was, I'm even for somebody that doesn't care that much about it. I've thought maybe I'll get one of these someday. This was really fun. So, you know, and, and one of the guys on that trip, great guy, he drives race cars as a hobby. Yeah, I think he has a Porsche or something like that. All right, so you could have a Ferrari, and it fit in the God gave you richly all things to enjoy category, and you, it doesn't own you. You own it, and you could have a lot of fun with that. That's a possibility, okay? Some, some people, you could also have a Ferrari, and it create a debt bomb for you that makes it where you... It's totally, it's totally sinking you down, and it would be a foolish thing to do. And you can also have a Ferrari to be seen of other men, in which case you've made yourself a slave to other people's opinions. Boy, that's right. It, you know, these things are all material things and money. They're unrighteous mammon. 
Jesus called it in his one of my favorite parables, the unrighteous steward. It's just they're they're just things. There's just it could, talk about that. The unrighteous steward. Most people don't get that at all. That story. I, I agree with that. I find hardly ever find any, and I scratch my head over that for a long time. But it became one of my favorite parables. So here's the parable. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. That's important. That people 12. need to pay attention to that when you're reading the Gospels where it says, and Jesus pulled away from the crowds and spoke to his disciples. This means he's talking about being a disciple of his. He's not talking about salvation and whatnot. It's no, an important yeah. thing to understand. Well, he's not talking about salvation from hell. He might be talking about salvation from the power of he's sin. He's not talking about heaven or hell. He's no. talking about He's talking about you, you getting where you want to go. Yeah. So, And he's actually talking to the disciples in this parable about being shrewd stewards and making good investments. You know, Ecclesiastes, one of the main themes in Ecclesiastes is to live life as an investor. Think of everything as an investment. Mm. So, And I think that's one of the great ways to think about being a steward. So anyway, he says to the, he said to, he says to the disciples, um, there's this, I'm going to tell you a story. There's this master and he had a steward. So the guy that worked for him. And some people came and told him and said, hey, you know your steward's squandering your goods. And so he brought the steward in and he said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this and putting in some extra stuff, okay? But he, he came in and said, hey, I got this report on you. I'm going to do an audit on your, on your accounts. If it turns out this is true, I, I'm going to have to let you go. And so the steward goes out from the master and he says, well, I know how that audit's going to turn out, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get fired. So he says to himself, it says in this parable, okay, how am I going to make a living after this? He's really in a quandary. How am I going to make a living? And he reasons to himself, he says, I'm too weak to dig. I can't, you know, I, I can't do manual labor. Too proud to beg. And then he says, I got it. I know. And here's the key to the whole parable, that they may receive me into their homes. So he's got a scheme that's going to cause people to receive him into their homes and take care of him. How's he going to do it? So he goes out and he goes to one person and says, how much do you owe my master? Well, 50 barrels of oil. Sit down and write 30. How much do you owe my master? Well, so many bushels of wheat, 80 bushels of wheat. Sit down and write 50. My guess is what he's doing is forgiving all the interest, all the way down to the principal. If he forgave the, the principal, he'd probably be stealing. He might go to jail. Mm. But if he's just forgiving the interest, he, that's probably within his power to set the interest rate. And more than likely, the way that worked, oh, the way in the ancient world they did tax collection and stuff is, can you be a tax collector? I, your quota is this, but if you make more than that, you can keep it. Mm -hmm. So that's why people hated them so much because they're always they were like to, organized crime. Yeah, kind of like yeah, they get as much as you can. And so he he probably had that power. And so he goes and says, you know what I'm going to do? Give everybody zero. Now, um, I like to do this trick with people. Um, I'll put out my hand and say, I, I, I want you to just stay still when I do this. Now, don't do anything. And I put out my hand, and it's hard for them to stay still, right? Because you want to hit out. You, you want to put your hand out and shake my hand. Even this far away, it probably feels a little uncomfortable for you. Well, why? We're built. There are some people here in Texas who have no problem not shaking your hand. <laughs> <laughs> we are built to reciprocate. You know, you wave, you wave back, and then you realize, oh, they were waving to somebody behind me. You kind of feel foolish. Well, uh, 
in the in the ancient East, reciprocity, even today, was a social obligation. It wasn't just it wasn't just oh gosh, I got to find out who that person that sent me the Christmas card is so I can send them one. I don't even know who it is. It it, it went to a whole nother level. Like if you did something that really made with that meaningful person, you owed them. It mm. was expected. Mm-hmm. So he's calculating if I forgive all this money, they're going to pay me back by taking care of me. That was his calculation, that they may receive me into their homes through reciprocity. So the word gets back to the master, and he hears that, and he says, and he, and this is what Jesus says, pretty close to a quote, if not exactly. He says, and the master commended the unrighteous steward because of his shrewdness. And the parable ends. Now, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So now Jesus applies it, and he says, he says, therefore, uh, when, oh, sorry, then he says, uh, the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light are. See, they get the principle of reciprocity. And think about it. Lobbyists, they give the campaign donation, they get the bill passed, right? Right, right. It's, it's the way of the world. Salesmen, you have a, you have a box at the... At the stadium, you invite your customers, and maybe they'll give you an order. Okay, it's it's the way of the world. Everybody gets this, but the sons of light, the believers, you, you don't understand this principle. You're not shrewd, you disciples. You lack shrewdness. That's what he's saying. Is you guys are kind of goofballs. You don't have any shrewdness. So he says. Then he says, make for yourselves friends of unrighteous mammon that they may receive you into an eternal home. So when we get to heaven and we get to the new earth, part of our reward will be being invited into people's homes to reciprocate for things we did for them in this life. And we're supposed to make that part of our investment calculation. So you think in terms of, well, I don't want to you know, work in the kids program. You know, These kids can't do anything for me. Yes, they can. They can pay you back many times more than somebody that can pay you back in this life. Or I don't want to have kids. You know, they're just a lot of trouble. They can't do anything for me. Yes, they can. They can pay you back many times more. than pay. So, so if you understand that parable, what, it, what, you start, what you start realizing is if I can take my resources, whether it's money, time, or anything else, time and money basically interchangeable, if I, can, if I can invest in people that can't pay me back now, that's going to that's gonna be one of the greatest investments I can make. And that's shrewdness according to that principle. It's not just Jesus that's going to be our reward. It's Jesus and, and all the seeds that we planted with other people, many of whom we probably have no idea we're even doing. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, use the world, money of this world to make friends for yourself in heaven. Yeah. That's right. That they may receive you into an eternal home. So, uh, so think, Billy Graham has lots of friends. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, he's a guy that we know about. Mm-hmm. And but maybe Billy Graham had his reward here on earth because we're talking about him. Yeah, but only if he sought it. It didn't seem like he. We don't. You know, that's the thing about this whole rewards thing is God will God Jesus will decide the mm-hmm. thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm. Is what's going to be judged. So that's I think I love First uh, Corinthians four, and Paul says 
Now, look, I'm getting all this criticism. And look, I've, I've evaluated myself. I don't know anything I need to change, okay? I think I'm fine. But you know what that, you know what that does for me? Nothing. You know who will judge me? Jesus. And you know when I'll find out if I'm really okay or not? When I stand before him. So let's all do it that way. How about, okay? Judge nothing before the time, he says. There'll come a time for judgment. Let Jesus make that judgment, you know? So I would guess Billy Graham's going to get a great judgment. We don't know what was in his heart. You know, we don't know what, you know, what he got now versus got later. My guess is some of the greatest rewards, some of the most famous people will be people that went totally under the radar of everybody around them. We have some hints of that with Jesus pointing out the lady with the mite mm-hmm. and saying, see this lady that's totally under your radar? You're not even, you wouldn't even notice her if I would have picked. She's great. Mm-hmm. I had this aunt, my aunt Jean. She's actually my great aunt. So she was pretty elderly, but she, um, when I was young, she was famous for praying, and she would pray so intensely, like for four or five hours. And one day, she she lived in Cleveland. Her husband locked himself out of the house. She was on her knees praying, and he went around to the back door, 10 feet away from her, was banging on the door. And she was praying so intently she couldn't hear him. It was cold outside. He sat outside for two hours. <laughs> two hours until she finally looked up and he could get her to open the door. Now that's a woman. You know, I think, how do you pray like that? You know, somebody like that, mate. We'll find out. You know, we'll find out. Yeah. Don't make any judgments about who's great and who's not great. Well, that's good including advice. yourself. That's good advice. Including yourself. Yeah. Just don't make those judgments. We don't know. We don't know. But here's what we should do. Seek the things that last. That's the that comes out of the scripture so clearly. Seek the things that last. Now you have a really great observation that you make about who Jesus presented himself after his resurrection to first and why. Ah, well, so Mary Magdalene was the, was the person that Jesus, uh, you know, saw the resurrection first. And I've got, I've got an interpretation of this that's not widely shared. When she went and grabbed Jesus and he says, uh, let, you know, don't cling on to me, I'm not yet ascended. I think what was going on there is he's laughing and saying, I'm not going anywhere. Let go of me. I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm staying. I'm on the ground for a while here. I'll be, I'll ascend later, but you don't have to cling to me that tight right now. So I think it's a humorous situation. Mm, I like that. And um, uh, so, yeah, she gets to see him first. And if you, if you look at who she was, she was a, she was a woman that uh, had big problems, uh, demons, and he he uh, alleviated those demons. Magdala is a little town. They've excavated it now, just along the north shore of the Galilee. There, it's mm. very pro- right next to Capernaum. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those little Jewish fishing villages. So Mary from Magdala, and she probably from a prosperous family because it says, and and there was this group that attended to his needs, and she's the first one named in the group. So I take it from that she's probably his major donor. She's the major donor. So I call that the first and best ever major donor event. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so, I mean, we don't talk much about her, but it's, you know, Jesus said this, if you give money to a prophet, you get the reward of a prophet. So maybe maybe Mary is his biggest investor. Maybe Maybe he's telling us something with that. She gets to see Jesus first. 
maybe she's going to be very preeminent in the rewards Jesus got. Like, I, you made possible everything I did. Maybe that's what that's kind of telling us. And she was a very, she was a very troubled, humble person. But then she re, reoriented her life to something that mattered. And look what happened. I, I, I take it as something that gives all of us great hope. Well, you know, you, when you look at these great saints from Wycliffe, Tyndale, Luther, uh, Calvin, they always had money people behind them that never got any credit, that were pouring themselves out for them. You know, uh, Sam Adams was the, uh, was the, you know, the shrewd guy in the whole American revolutionary period. John Hancock was his financer. When, when, when it's a very, I think, I think highly probable that when the British came to Lexington and Concord, they were looking for Adams and Hancock because they figured if they could snuff those guys out, the trouble would all stop. And they were probably right, actually. And, uh, one of the reasons uh, Paul Revere, there were many Paul Revere rides, and one of the things they were doing is trying to warn Hancock and Adams. And it's always been that way. There's always there's always um, the people who are on the front lines, and then there's the donors behind them, and then there's the as the what was it David had the guys that guard the bags got the same amount of booty as the guys that did the fighting, mm. the biblical principle. So everybody's got their role. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interest, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. I think this is a question a lot of people might wonder about. You know, Charles Bronson, the great philosopher, <laughs> once said that a man works hard his whole life to make enough money to give to his kids so they don't have to go through a made him a man in the first place. <laughs> all right, so guy, your first-generation money, we yeah. see this happen all the time. First-generation money works hard, pulls himself up by his bootstraps, makes a great place for himself in the world. Second-generation money... They saw dad working really hard, but they also lived with that money most of their lives. Third generation money, they don't know where it came from. Grandpa was rich, mom and dad are rich, and I just have a right to this money, and they become, you know, what? Counterproductive. Yeah, you know, the cliche, or self-destructive. Right? How do you avoid, if, you're, if you have money, be it whether you're middle class or extremely wealthy, how do you make sure your kids don't end up? You know, what I always try to tell people is, I used to tell my kids this, my money's not your money. It's my money. You didn't make it. You have no right to it. You have no claim to it. Now, that's setting themselves up to understand that they need to make their own place in the world. But how do you, how do you deal with that? You have six kids. I've got 20 six grandkids, kids, 20 grandkids, yeah. So I think about this a lot because the, that 
I was in banking for a while, and I actually saw that pattern. Uh, you know, trust departments and stuff like that. It's fairly, fairly common. But I think the first principle I would say is, um, I think you can go to, is it Ezekiel 18? Do not say this parable. The children ate sour, uh, the, the parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. So it's saying, look, everybody makes their own decisions. And he goes through this whole thing. If a righteous man turns, turns to be unrighteous, he'll pay the price. Mm -hmm. If an unrighteous man turns to righteous, he'll get the reward. Everybody makes their own decisions. It goes decision. on for like three chapters. It, it just goes on and on and on. Like, so number one is we can't make choices for our kids. I mean, really important. Because um, you said something most people would say, how do you, how do you make sure of that? And the, the, the reality is you can never make sure of that anything. But you can, whether you give them a million dollars, you know, a year for their... What, is the, what are the wisdom principles? So here, here's what I would say for kids. The number one thing we should do as fathers for kids. So we, we in our servant leadership stuff do their here path, the path between here and there. So one of the key things you want to always do is have a clear there. And the there for child rearing I, that I recommend to people is... Have a I want I want my children to leave home hmm. with the wisdom and knowledge of how to make wise choices and knowing good values from bad values. I can't make them choose those things. Mm -hmm. I can make sure they know the difference, and then it's up to them. Now, I had one, so we, Terry and I were very smug parents after our first three and did not understand <laughs> why people had trouble with kids. And then God gave us David, the musician. Uh. And David and I, and it's kind of a chip off the block, actually. Um, I always kind of knew what David was thinking because we're so much alike. We're both rebels at heart, I would say. And he was... My goodness, he was a handful. Uh, he was a tornado, defiant, defiant, you know, through and through all day long. Uh, well, anyway, we did this with him, and David and I had plenty of knock. And we had a big knockdown, drag out fight when he was about sixteen. That's kind of famous in our family. Terry's in the kitchen crying, and we're wow. you know, going after it. Um, and he's telling me. You know, you don't, you control me. You don't give me any freedom. And I'm saying, I'm going to give you all the freedom you want in 18 months when you leave here. And then you're paying the bills. That's what freedom is, is all the responsibility. So anyway, we worked it out fine. He went off to school in Montana, Montana Tech, played basketball there for a couple of years. And he told us maybe 10 years later, he said, um, we have a great relationship, by the way. He's a good kid. Uh, he's great. Um, he, he told me about 10 years later, he said, you know, when I went off to school, my I wanted the world so bad. It looked so good to me. I just wanted to immerse myself mm. in all of it. And you know, we had that's we such had, an honest statement. He he said I, and he said I just couldn't bring myself to do it because I knew the destruction it would create, and I would have no one to blame. And if you had tried to control me at all, I know myself well enough. I would have gone into it and blamed you. Mm. Well, that was pretty eye-opening. It's like, wow, well, I'm glad we followed through with that. <laughs> but it told me how powerful that is to, to make, make sure the kids know this is what a good choice is, this is what a bad choice is, and this is the time 
when I'm handing the baton to you, and you know what? Now you make the choice. And the response, the consequences are all on you. And if you think about it, isn't that exactly what God did with humanity? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it goes from, from uh, Genesis to Revelation, doesn't it? He, he, hands Adam the, uh, he hands Adam the keys and he says, okay, tend this garden. Name the animals. Uh, do the work. I'm leaving it all up to you. Well, God, I, I don't know how to do all this stuff. I, figure it out. You know, I, we can go walking every evening and I'll tell you, have any questions you want? You figure it out. I'm going to give you one thing not to do, just one. But you know what? You choose. Mm. That's it. This knowledge of good and evil, you, you can trust me for what's good or you can find out for yourself. And if you do that, I'm going to tell you the consequence is death. Well, what, what's death? Can't really explain it to you, okay? You just have to trust me. It's not good. Well, right, right. that, I mean, you go Eat all, from that tree, you'll know what it is, and you wish you didn't. And, and you wish you hadn't, right? Yeah. But So that's all the way through as God gives us the power to decide, and it's unbelievable that he gives us his choice. Uh, Psalm 8 is just like, God, why would you do this? Give us this responsibility and not angels. You know, why, why did you do this? It's unbelievable. It's really incredible. He gave us the power to choose. Well, that's what God wants us to be stewards of. So what we want to do is teach our children how to make good choices, but it's their choice. It's going to be their choice. Doesn't money make you more tempted, not you, but the proverbial you, um, to control, make those choices easier, uh, give them the safety net for their consequences? So what money tends to do, and this, this again, $32,000 a year is the cutoff for top 1% earners in the world. Wow. Okay. Keep that in mind. Average wage in America is about 50000 Okay. So when you say rich, we're talking almost yeah. everybody that's listening to this should consider themselves in that bucket. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, if you have money, it's easier to perpetuate the illusion of control. That's good. I like that. Okay. The reality is you control three things. Who or what you trust or depend on. How you look at things, your perspective, and what you do. That's it. You don't control what other people think of you. You can control your illusion about what people think about you. Right. And create this whole illusionary world where everybody's looking at you and by your performance, you control how they see you. And it's all, it's all baloney. It's fake. You don't know what other people think. If I ask you, Ken, what do you think of me? Are you going to tell me what you really think? Or are you going to tell me what you think I want to hear? Well, you know I'll tell you what I would do. But how would I know that, right? Yeah, you, you don't ever really know what someone else. So, you know, quit trying. I mean, so if you have enough money, you can have enough power to where people will make you Thank you that they all say good Everybody things. Everybody lines up, and what they want is, generally speaking, if you have a lot of money um, and people know it, uh, you get a lot of, okay, how can I, what can I say or do that will cause this person to transfer what they have in their stewardship to my stewardship? Yeah, that's right. Okay, you get a whole lot of that. And uh, it is what it is. I don't, how, do you, how, do you, I mean, how do you keep from getting, um, how do you keep from getting kind of bitter about that? I mean, cynical about it. So many people, you know, because I mean, 
for me, before I was in the ministry world, when I was running big companies, the, the line out the door of people there with their hand out to ask me for money and, <laughs> and the manipulation, you know, and all the stuff, it really, I was very jaded, uh, by these people. And well, look, you if you, if you are willing to serve, your reward's going to be more responsibility. Right. 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 All right. So the, you remember the wicked and lazy servant? He was a servant. Okay, in the parable of the talents, he was a servant. Matthew 25, 14. That's 25, yeah. So get three servants, and it's not that's not a heaven and hell thing. That's a believer's thing. All are servants, and it's a reward passage. And the wicked and lazy, lazy servant guy, his calculation was, if I spend my time on his stuff, he's just going to give me a bunch more to do. Mm, that's good, yeah. All right? And, and you know what? He was correct because the guy with the five talents got five cities to rule. And what the reward was, well, you did, a, you did awesome with a little. I'm going to give you a huge responsibility. It's right. exactly what the guy thought. Here's what he didn't count on. Enter into the joy of your master. Mm-hmm. So this, this is actually the path to our total fulfillment as humans is to do what God made us to do. And as men, particularly, to work and to work in a way that's fulfilling and rewarding with other people that share our mission. That's what we long for. And that's what the overcomer, that's that's the reward that, that you're going to have, enter into the joy of the master. It's going to be a greatly heightened level of responsibility. Well, that path along the way is just going to be littered with, if you give money, you're going to be asked for more. If you give service, you get on that, you know, oh, well, ask him. You know, he'll do children's ministry because he also does 10 other things. If you get on that list, people are going to ask you to do more. And, look, it's okay to say no. You 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 can't do everything. You've got to decide what your calling is. But uh, that's you should look at that as just an opportunity. Now, all these people that are asking you for stuff, um, I don't blame them for asking. I mean, it's I have a choice to whether to say yes or no. I have a choice whether to talk to them or not. What what I what I did is because uh, you can start feeling like a milk cow, you right? Know? So what I did is I I decided to develop a very clear philosophy about uh, philanthropy. So I, I decided, okay, I have a gift for vision. Can't find my way back to the table when I go to the bathroom in a restaurant. I can't find my way around town. I have no linear spatial capabilities, but I can see things that don't exist. It's kind of disturbing since you're an engineer. (laughs) Well, I was a process engineer, not a mechanical engineer. So I understand processes, you know, chemical, I was a chemical engineer. So chemistry is a kind of a, kind of a magic thing, you know, you you, uh, nobody knows exactly how it works, but you just dial the processes. I don't understand mechanical stuff at all. So um, anyway, I, I have that gift. And I, I'm a kind of a treasure hunter mentality. I like early stage, high strategy, high leverage stuff. So I try to, I try to invest in things that are early stage, idea level things that makes sense. with a lot of leverage and a lot of capabilities and get them to the point where they're sustaining that are easy for the people who can find their way back to the table uh, to, that are more tangible oriented, can see it and participate in it. So I've just kind of picked my lane. 
And I don't. I just don't mind saying no to people. I, I'm not giving money so that they'll think well of me. I, mm-hmm. That's I'm I'm giving money because I want to be a good steward. So it's easy for you to say no. Well, yeah, it, it has become easy because uh, for the most part, if somebody says, you know, can I come see you? I, I, how many of those do I get a day? I don't know how many. I just generally don't don't respond. I've 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 I have decided. I do not need to reciprocate to people who want to talk to me about something that they want me to give them. I have no obligation to talk to people about that. But now, uh, you know, when uh, Tim, one of our mutual friends, called me about Promise Keepers wanting to kick back up, um, that's a guy who I've worked alongside with for many years. He never asked me for anything, and he asked me for something. Well, that's different. Right. He's a friend. There's a relationship. He's a, yeah, he's a friend, and he wanted me to look at something. I looked at it. And in your case, you know, you gave me something that was high vision, high level. It's all fit my parameter. So I'm like, um, well, yeah, yeah. And this is the other thing I typically do is if you just want my money, then I'm not interested. But if I can, if I can also contribute my skills, then, then I'm highly interested. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. Ken Harrison